today on Women of Impact. If you think you can spot when someone is lying to you, then think again. The average person detects lies with about 54% accuracy. The founder of the Science of People and body language expert, Vanessa Van Edwards, is back and revealing the five fundamental cues to look out for when identifying deception. The basis of lie detection is that liars have so many things they're trying to keep straight that they forget or they leak out their truth. And so that means they're saying one thing, but their body or their voice tone shows another. As well as totally debunking and throwing out everything we think we know. Oh yeah. And so guys, if you're fed up with trusting someone's word only to find out they were lying to you. What? And then like me, proceed to beating yourself up on how the hell you didn't see it coming. Shut the fuck up. Then this episode is for you. And that is actually the very first step of lie detection. The lead investigator in human behavior, the lie decoder herself, my girl, Vanessa Van Edwards. Well, Vanessa Van Edwards is in the house. My girl, I'm so excited for you to be here. Very specifically, me and you were talking on the phone and we started talking about lying and body detection and facial expressions and you were like, oh, Lisa, I can talk about this for hours. Yes. So I was like, Vanessa, you've got to come on the show, girl. And so as we start to pass through different types of lies, so it's different types of lies, different modes of lying, mm-hmm. different types of people that will lie to you. Mm-hmm. And so I really want to break it down and go over every possible one that we can. I love it. And then I know that you have very specific five ways of actually being a lie detector. That's right. That's right. We're going to do it all. all right. Can I start with a piece of science yes. first? Yes. Okay. This is just the weirdest piece of science to kick us off. So there's some interesting science behind lie detection. One of them is called the morning morality effect. Go on. So this is that in the morning when we're our freshest, when we have um, the least fatigue, when we're, you know, feeling good about our day, we want to feel like a good person, we have big goals, we are more honest, we are more moral. And so when you ask people questions, when you're in negotiation, interview, dates, you're more likely to get honest answers. You're more likely to be honest yourself in the morning. Now, that's really interesting science. That's because later in the day as we get fatigued, we get tired. We lie to ourselves. Oh, I can have that cookie. It won't count, right? We get tired at the end of the day. Our willpower goes down. Same with our honesty muscle. So I thought we would start off with that because honesty is a muscle. And so we have to understand that it's not always the same. It depends on the time of day, the people we're with, the topic. And so number one easy tip off the bat is if you have something really important, do it in the morning. Breakfast dates, yeah. love a breakfast date. Oh. Love a breakfast date. Earlier in the day, the better because we're more likely to be honest. So that was first, first. All right, let's just bring up dates because you already brought that up. Let's do it. So you're on a date. Yeah. How do you know when someone's lying? (laughs) Okay, so let's talk about the science of lie detection. So there's a very small portion of the population. They're called truth wizards. It's a very small, small portion. And they are naturally very adept at spotting lies. Now... When I say naturally very adept, no one is 100% good at spotting lies. There's no like Pinocchio's nose or, you know, a, an actual polygraph. But these people are able to detect lies with about 80% accuracy. Wow. The average person detects lies with about 54% accuracy. 54? So you literally can only tell someone's lying to you 54% of the time? When they test people's ability to detect lies, it's, better, it's a little better than a coin toss. I mean, literally, you're better off saying like A or B, true or false. So that, that difference between 54%, that's the average person. A truth wizard, the best of the best lie spotters get up to 80%. So everything we're talking about today is probably not going to get you to 100, right? So we're trying to get 
anywhere above 54%. Any percent we can get back is better. So that's the first thing. The second thing that I want people to keep in mind, and this is a weird one, is something called the Pollyanna effect. And this is that lie detectors do better when they assume the best in people. And this, I was a little bit nervous about doing the interview because I didn't, I don't want to assume bad, right? I don't want you to go on a date and be like, where's that lie, right? I want you to go on a date and assume good. I want you to go on a date and, and be excited and talk honestly and have deception be the last thing on your mind. Mm. And they've actually proven the more you seek the good in people, the more you focus on the truth, the better you are at spotting lies. And that's Why? Weird. I think it's because when we assume the worst, we get into a very negative mindset and we mistake nervousness for guilt. We mistake shame or embarrassment, which is a very honest emotion, for deception. And so the very first thing is, on your dates, assume the best. In your negotiations and interviews, assume the best. Look for good in people. Assume truth. And then we'll talk about the steps. The nice thing about lie detection is once you know what to look for, you can learn it and keep it in the back of your head. You don't have to actively go into it. So that's the very first thing, is when you go to your dates, assume the best. Seek truth. And that's kind of a nice way to start, too. Yeah. And do it in the morning. <laughs> do it in the morning. Do it in the morning. Yes, that's, that's the very first thing. It's kind of a, it's a good way of thinking about lie detection, I think. Yeah. The second thing is, um, this is a general way to think about lie detection, is something called congruence. So when we think about people, they're using lots of mode of communication. So right now, I'm talking to you with my whole body, right? Like I'm angling my body at you. I'm leaning forward when I'm excited. You're nodding at me. I see the nods back. I'm using my verbal communication, my vocal communication. Liars have extra load. In other words, they're not just communicating back and forth free-flowing. They're trying to keep a lie straight in their head. They're trying to convince you of the lie, and they want to see if you believe the lie back to them. So what happens for liars is they get incongruent. So you're on a date, or you're in an interview or negotiation, and it's going like this, and we're flowing, and it's great. And then all of a sudden, you notice that they are saying they're really happy, but there's no happiness on their face. Mm. So all of a sudden, the verbal track misaligns with the nonverbal. So someone says, yeah, um, I, I really love this job and I'm really excited about it and I can't wait to work here. And um, yeah, I just have been thinking about it for a long. Now you can start to see that I'm saying the right things. My verbal are saying you love the job, but I turn away, I look away, my face falls. I stop nodding, I stop smiling. I use a lot less motion, movement. That is an incongruence. That's getting us into where lie detection begins. Oh, okay, so I've got a question there. Yeah. Because you said it earlier about shame and guilt. How do you know that they're not saying it because they're embarrassed, because they've got shame, because they've got guilt around it, and so they can't look you in the eye, right? They're, they're embarrassed, they don't have the confidence, that's another uh -huh. big one. 100%. So in those moments, how do you know that it's not that? Yes, okay, so this is one of the reasons why I teach so much about confidence is because I know that a lack of confidence can be mistaken as a lie. Mm, right. Like, uh, like it, that, 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 that's what's so painful for me. Now, I have a lot of social anxiety. As you know, I'm a recovering awkward person. And I realized when I was doing this research, I saw, oh my goodness, the lying cues, the deception cues are extremely similar to the anxious cues. So when I go into a situation and I'm anxious or nervous, that not only makes me look less confident, it actually makes me look a, like a liar. So there's one really specific one I want to talk about. Um, it's called the question inflection. So uh, we've talked about this a little bit where um, I love watching Shark Tank. You know the show Shark Tank? Yes, okay. of course. Okay. So I love the show Shark Tank, and I was researching stories from a book, so we decided to do a big experiment on Shark Tank. 
And so my uh, co-researcher and I, Jose Pina, thank you, Jose, analyzed 495 Shark Tank pitches. Whoa. 495 Shark Tank pitches, looking for patterns, looking to see if there was differences between the, the, the people who get a deal and the people who don't. And one of the big deals that I was fascinated by, which is the anchor story of my book, is Jamie Siminoff. So Jamie Siminoff is the founder of Ring, which is a hugely successful company, mm. was acquired for billions of dollars. He had Shaquille O'Neal and Richard Branson as investors. He went on Shark Tank and totally bombed. The weird thing about his pitch, though, is it wasn't obvious why he bombed. But the problem was is he was using anxiety, which made him look like a liar, even though he's not a liar. So he got on Shark Tank and was using the question inflection. The question inflection was when we go up at the end of our sentences. So I would say, um, hi, I'm Vanessa. It's nice to meet you. And it's a pleasure to be here, which makes it sound like we're asking. And when what we've mm. found, what, what the researchers have found is that when we hear the que a question inflection on a statement, it makes us in our brains go from listening to scrutinizing. Because they don't sound certain about it. So if they're not certain about it, now you start to question. Exactly. Okay. So when we're talking about anxiety and lack of confidence, if you are going into a, a job negotiation or interview and they say, so what salary range are you looking for? And you say, well, I, I would really love to work at this company, um, but the, the salary range I was looking for is $50,000. <laughs> if you ask your numbers, you are begging people to negotiate with you. You're saying, I don't really believe in this number, and so you shouldn't either. And so that's an incongruence, right? Going back to congruence, if I am confident and I really want that $50,000, that $100,000 or whatever it is, I'm going to say, I would love to have this job and I would love to have $50,000. Downward inflection. Mm. Confident. I'm here. I believe this. If I don't believe in it, if I'm anxious, if I don't have self-worth, if I don't have self-confidence, I ask it. And that's when the other person's brain goes, wait a minute. That was an incongruence. I heard the verbal, but it didn't sound like you were confident. And that's when their brain switches into judgment. So the most important thing, when we talk about lie detection, this is not just you being a human lie detector, which I would love to teach you. It's also making sure that you yourself are not accidentally sending off incongruence. When I heard you say that, like, it was so mind-blowing that that is so important, right? We, we're always very much trying to look at other people and yeah. go, oh, are they telling me the truth? Can I right. trust them? Trust is a massive thing right. in relationships, friendships, business, everything. So you want to know, can I trust this person? But I've never thought about if other people think I'm lying because I know I'm lying if I'm lying or not. Right, exactly. And so if I'm lying, I'm like, oh shit, they know I'm lying. And if I'm not lying, it doesn't even occur to me that the other person may think I'm lying. Right, and that your anxiety or or nervousness or lack of confidence is actually coming across as deception. Right. Not just nervousness. So one of the reasons I teach so much confidence material is just because I want people to not only take you seriously, but I want people to believe you. And so everything we talk about today, I want you to not only look for it, I also want you to think about yourself. So congruence is the very first thing, which is the basis of lie detection is that liars have so many things they're trying to keep straight that they forget or they leak mm. out their truth. And so that means they're saying one thing, but their body or their voice tone shows another. So as lie detectors, the most important thing we can do is look for, wait a minute, something just changed. We just had it. I just saw an incongruence. And as truth tellers, we need to make sure we're absolutely congruent. So you asked a really important question about how do we know if someone's nervous or if they're telling a lie? And that is actually the very first step of lie detection. The very first step of lie detection is the most important step. And it's the step to make sure that we are not going to get a false positive.
Mm. False positives keep me up at night, right? The worst thing you can possibly do is assume someone's lying when they're not. And um, and all the research, there is a couple steps that we can take to, to hopefully have not as many false positives. So step number one is called baselining. So baselining is looking at how someone acts, sounds, and speaks when they're telling the truth. So when we're interacting, right, the very first thing you want to do is get a, take a pulse of how someone looks and sounds when they're speaking the truth. So at the beginning of a date, it's so, where are you from? People don't usually lie about that, right? <laughs> Um, so, how was your day? What did you do today? What do you do? All those questions that we use to build rapport are actually perfect baselining questions. And all you're trying to do here is just take like a mental snapshot, right? So like, I'll, your baseline. Can I do your baseline yeah. for you? Okay. Okay. So everyone watching. So Lisa's baseline, do this with me. So um, over the last uh, few minutes, what have you noticed about Lisa? What's her body language like? How does she sit? How does she sound? So my baseline of you, hopefully, and by the way, I highly recommend writing some of these down, is you're a nodder. So I you, am. You nod, right? Perfect, that's part of your baseline. I know that when you're building rapport, when you're telling the truth, you're a nodder, right? So great. Did you notice what else she did? Okay, so one is she lifts this toe. <gasps> yeah, so when you're talking, you like to lift this toe up. Oops, I, I messed up my I notice I do that. Yeah, so, so as, an, as an emphasis, you'll often lift this toe, okay? Ah. So that's good to know. Notice anything else? Okay, so you tend to keep your hands relaxed. You tend to have like an up face, so you tend to smile a lot. You also will lean forward, yeah. right? You're very relaxed. Okay, so this is Lisa in truth, not anxious. That's the very first step. You also, when you're speaking, you, you have a very excited voice. You, um, you match my volume. Okay, so that's how you look and how you sound. That's step number one. So when I'm doing like really wanting to understand how someone um, behaves when they lie, mm. I literally write this down. Mm. I literally write down some of their nonverbal tells. I notice that when you, this is how you sit comfortably, Right? With your hands like this or like this at rest. Okay. Step two is called a nervous baseline. A nervous baseline is how someone looks when they're nervous. And this is the most important for protecting against false positives. So if you really want to know how someone lies, you want to make sure that you know their nervous tells. And everyone has nervous tells. Mm. Nervous tells are different than lying tells. So for example, if you were to ask a question like, um, so it's, it's been a really hard week for you, so tell me all about that. Oh, it's been horrible. You know that their nervous tell is touching their face. So when I get nervous, when I've talked about being nervous, I tend to like touch my chest here. In fact, I get in trouble because I touch my mic. So I've noticed that's my own nervous tell. So you would know that when I'm nervous, I tend to self-touch. I self-touch my face, I self-touch my stomach, I self-touch around my mic area. Um, do you know what your nervous tells are? Have you ever, do you know what you try to stifle when you're nervous? I don't. Which is interesting. Well, hmm, let me think about that. I, I, I don't play with, so if you see me, and here's actually the thing I was about to say, if you see me play with my hair on set, yes. it's normally because I'm like, is it poofy and I can't see? So I play with it. But when I'm nervous, Tom even said, I tweet, twirl, twirl my hair. And I was like, I twirl my hair? Oh. And so now he's like, why are you twirling? Like he'll spot he'll it. But he was the one that told me. But Love actually it. now's a good example of, but if I mess with my hair on set, it's not out of nervousness. Right. Okay, so that would be a really important part of your baseline. So if I noticed that you just happened to play with your hair on set, that would be a part of your baselining because mm -hmm. that means that you weren't doing it for any reason. You weren't doing it. It was literally just habit, right? I also do the same. I fix my hair. I futz with my hair. For me, that's part of my baseline. So when I asked you the question about your nervous baseline, I actually got to see your nervous baseline. Oh, shit. Did I'm you? Sorry, I'm did, sorry. I, did I bite my, my lip? Yeah. I wondered that. The yeah. funny thing is, I was like, what's my well, nervous baseline? Can we rewind baseline? it back like, and like, show lip? what you did? Like, so, so like, like um, do you know what your nervous tells are? Have you ever, do you know what you try to stifle when you're nervous? 
So what, what the, I was a trick question. I apologize. No, I love it. I'm so impressed that you, you were able to trick me. Okay, so I tricked you by asking because I knew that would make you nervous because I didn't prep Dude, you on that question. that's amazing. I'm so impressed right now. Okay, well, great. Because <laughs> I knew that if I prepped you on that question, you wouldn't have time. But putting you on the spot yeah. made you nervous. Right. I'm like, it's <laughs> yeah. I'm like okay. so impressed so, right what now. What we noticed when I asked you that question, mm. which I threw to you because yeah. you didn't have an answer, yeah. is one you looked down. Yeah. So this is very important. So this gesture is you pulled your head away to go, mm. what is it? Because you were trying to think of a quick answer, mm. right? You were like, what is the answer? Vanessa just put me on the spot. Okay, so this for you is a nervous gesture. So I would know that if I was trying to find if you were being deceptive, if you went like this, this is just your recall. You're nervous, mm. but you're trying to recall. What's that answer? So let's talk about um, looking different ways. So. A couple years ago, there was some article that got publicized that was like, when you're looking up to the left, you're lying. When you're looking up to the right, or whatever it was. You're telling the truth. Yes, yeah. okay. So let's talk about that study. So they were not able to replicate those results. That's the bad news. But there's some good news, which is, in our research, I have noticed that people tend to access memories in the same spot. So you can find out for each person where they look. So I just learned when I asked you that recall question that you access here. Mm. So if I were to ask you questions and you're recalling, what's that answer? So I access up. Like if you were to ask me to recall what I had for breakfast, I'd be like, um, so I access up. Interesting. And if it's something that's not nerve wracking, it would go in the baselining column. If it was something that was a little bit nerve wracking, like if you're asking about bad news or you're asking about an embarrassing story, one of my favorite ones, it's kind of casual is if I want to know someone's nervous baseline, the quickest and easiest way is to ask them what they do when they're nervous. Yeah, perfect. I love it. The second one is, what's, tell me your most embarrassing story. I was literally about to look down yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. I was like, what the hell? Because that's where down. you access. Don't look down. So will you tell me your most embarrassing story? Oh, shit. So here's... Okay, the... so watch. I just want you to watch. So in your nervous baseline column, we should be taking notes. So I went, oh, shit. Oh, shit. So you went, so you tipped yeah, back, yeah. so you gave me a big tilt back. Yeah. You accessed up, so now we know those are all just part of your baseline. Okay, yeah. so go ahead and tell me. And I'm like fixing my hair, I'm like, shit, I can't move. <laughs> I, know. I know, but it's good, we're learning. Yeah. You didn't realize I was gonna put you on the I spot today. Which I love, girl, you know okay. that I love okay. this shit. Okay. Um, what is my most embarrassing? Playing with ring. Yeah, oh shit, yeah. Because here's the thing, I do, I do have one. I've never told it to a soul except my husband and my sister. Okay, I want you to notice your volume went down. Mm. So you dropped into volume here, you used a big hand gesture. Fine, those are all in your nervous column. Mm. So I would know, so liars often lower their volume when they're speaking because they're afraid mm. to be heard. Mm. But I would know for you, that's part of your nervous baseline, so that's not a lie. Interesting. Right, so you're, you're, you were lower as you were talking about it. Yeah. Okay, so a fun one that you can do with friends is asking what's your tell, asking about embarrassing stories, any kind of question that's gonna produce a little bit of nervousness, a little bit of anxiety, you're gonna see their nervous place. So those are the first two. The third step, and this is the longest of the steps, is looking for what I call red flags. So these are the statistical cues to deceit. So research has looked into deception um, to find out, statistically speaking, what do liars most often do? Mm -hmm. So to statistically, this is not every time, but statistically, sure. so, oh, statistically speaking, when people lie, they touch their nose. Okay, now this doesn't mean that when people are lying every time, and here's why. They've actually found, this is crazy research, they found that we have a certain kind of cartilage in our nose that gets increased blood flow when we're being deceptive. And so Pinocchio's nose, they think, Pinocchio, you know how he lies, his yeah, nose grows? Yeah. They think that the animators got the idea 
because actually when we lie, our nose tends to itch. This is actually a, a, a chemical thing that happens in our body. I know, it's so weird. So they think that the idea for like, what, how would you come up with an idea that every time a boy lies, his nose grows, that some people can feel it. I'm curious if anyone watching can feel that. Put it below the comments. There's a small percent, whenever I teach this at live audiences, that people go, oh my God, that happens to me. They have friends who play poker and they say that when they bluff, their nose feels like it's on fire. Oh my God. I know, it's so weird. That's so interesting. So, uh, so for my next book, I did a whole um, expose where I wanted to see if famous people touched their nose when they lied. So I looked at really interesting, like hiding in plain sight. And one that we looked at was Bill Clinton's testimony when he lied about having relations with Monica Lewinsky. He, during the truthful answers, he touched his nose twice. We found that during the lying answers, he's touched his nose 26 times. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. And he also does the shush gesture to himself. So they've also found that, you know, when you're not trying to say something, you go shh. Mm. We even do this to ourselves as if we're saying, don't lie, don't say that, don't get yourself into trouble. So in the testimony, he not only touches his nose, he does the shush gesture, he does the prayer gesture, and he rubs at his nose. So what's interesting about this is that it's statistical. So not every time you touch your nose, you're lying. So if I were talking to you during an interview and you weren't touching your nose at all, and then I asked you nervous questions and you didn't touch your nose at all, but all of a sudden, during a question that I was worried that you were lying about on a date, maybe talking about your ex, in an interview, maybe talking about your ex-boss, um, with a friend talking about, oh yeah, um, I, I must have misplaced that. I must have gone to spam, right? Like the, the email that we all tell, right, to friends. And all of a sudden there, <clears throat> all of a sudden, that is called the red flag. And that is step number three. Step three is looking for sudden red flags, sudden differences in what we didn't see in the baseline nervous mm. baseline or sudden differences with incongruence. So incongruence are, I say that I'm happy, but I show no happiness. Or I say, yeah, I'm so angry at him, but I show no anger at all. Or this is a egregious one, seeing a difference in nonverbal and verbal. So one of my favorite ones that I talk about in the book is you ask someone, so um, did you see that horrible thing that happened? And they shake their head yes, in our cultures this means yes, but they say no. Oh, no, I didn't. But just try that for a second. Yeah. Try saying to me, no, I didn't, but shake your head yes. No, I didn't. It's it weird, right? Freaking weird. It's so hard. Just try this at home. It's no, I didn't. Does it work the other way? I love this. It's weird, right? Yes, it's great. No, that's so horrible. weird. No, it's my, so my brain, weird. My brain is like... It should actually like elevate your heart rate. Like, yeah, it's, like it, it felt weird. It's, it, that's why I trust the body is because it's hard to be incongruent. It takes more energy, mm. right? If I'm like, oh, I'm gonna talk to you mm. about five different things, that was really hard for me just now. Like I almost messed up. Like I'm gonna talk to you about five things. Try, try holding up three and saying five. I'm gonna hold up three. Oh shit. <laughs> I'm so <laughs> It's hard. Perfect example right. then. Okay, <laughs> so that's what I want you to keep in mind when you see something like that. When you see someone mm. who's saying yes, mm. You have to know that something is working on overdrive unless that was in their baseline. So set number three is all looking for inconsistencies and red flags. Here are a couple common ones. There are 30 that we list out. So a couple really easy ones is nose touching, right? That's an easy one. Incongruent nodding. Mm -hmm. Another one is um, anytime that we touch our stomach because it comforts us, like we took like a protective gesture or our face. Mm. Again, not always, right? If someone did that during their baseline, then that's not for them. Some other really common red yeah, I, flags. I, I put my hand on my face yeah. after, but this is my thinking face. And that would go in your baseline. Hmm. Yeah, that would totally go in your baseline. Another, the other big one, so I talked about this a lot in Captivate, is micro-expressions. 
So microexpressions are not in themselves red flags, but if they're incongruent, we have a problem. So if someone says, um, um, oh yeah, I'm totally fine with that, but they show the fear microexpression. So if someone says, oh yeah, I'm totally fine with that. Yeah, great. It is very hard for me to hold my eyes like this, mm -hmm. right? Like I, I actually begin to feel anxious. If you hold your eyes and that, like the whites of your eyes, you begin to feel a little anxious, yeah. right? So if someone says they're totally fine with something, but they show a fear microexpression, and we talk about there's seven of them, that's a red flag. That's, hmm, why did they just show fear? Another big one you'll see is disgust. So disgust is uh, one of my favorite microexpressions. Disgust is the face you make when you smell something bad. So we can all try it. So if you lift your nose up, flash the upper whites of your teeth at me and go, ugh. ugh. That's disgust. Hmm. So you'll often see when you ask someone a preference-based question. So if you ask someone, so what do you think of the new girl? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's great. We do not make that face mm. when we think something's great. So just try to hold your mouth like this and say it's great. Yeah, it's great. No. No. My, even my tone is like pathetic. It's great. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So mm. that's what we're looking for is so the seven microexpressions is a great just tool to have in your back pocket and the 30 light, the 30 cues. One thing I love about microexpressions um, actually is sometimes I don't even know that what I'm picking up on. Mm -hmm. It just becomes, I think, part of that gut feeling where you're like, I'm getting a gut feeling they're not happy or they're not satisfied. But sometimes we can't identify what that was. Okay, so that is the reason I wrote this book, is so many people ignore their instinct when they saw the truth. Mm. We know the truth. We feel the truth. And so what happens is, especially for my women and our powerful women, is we're with someone and we see a red flag, but we don't know what to see. We see a cue that makes us nervous and we go, I don't know about this person, but we ignore it. Mm. We ignore it because we're like, well, he said all the right things. Well, she said she was going to get back to me on time. Mm -hmm. They said the interview went well, and then we're blindsided. And so what I wanted to break down was what are all the nonverbal cues that we send to each other, and how can we learn them so we know exactly what to look for? Mm. So, for example, now that you just saw Disgust, when you're with someone and you ask a client or a colleague, so um, is, how's the new project going? all right, you know that you need to ask more questions. Mm -hmm. you, need, you know that you need to go on step number five, which is, really? Tell me a little bit about working with the client. What else has been happening? Going into more questions so that you don't ignore that intuition. Mm -hmm. So you can say, ah, I just spotted disgust. That's probably why I feel uneasy about working with this client. Or, hmm, he gave me a lot of incongruent nods during that date. He had all the right answers, but gosh, he had incongruent nods, he was doing a lot of interesting things from his baseline, something is off here. That's what I want you to trust, is that when you know what cues to spot, it gives you your confidence back. I think it's a secret backdoor into confidence. I love that so much, because here's one thing that a lot of us, I think, especially me, confirmation yeah. bias, where you go into something, and especially if it's a date, if it's a teammate, like if I'm hiring someone or a friend that I really want to like, it's like you're looking for the things that make you want to like that person. Right. And sometimes you do then ignore the, all the cues that are really everything that you just laid out is kind of screaming at you. Right. So here's how Pollyanna, the Pollyanna approach mm. works. I want you to assume the best. Mm. I want you to go in hoping mm. for good. I want you to go in looking for good. But if you are armed with the cues, if you know mm. what to read, you don't have to worry about it. If you own your own business, when an employee leaves your company, whether on good terms or bad, 
it can feel, I hate to say it, but it actually can feel personal, like you and you alone are the one to blame. And it actually may even trigger you to lock down your business, not open yourself up and not actually risk trying anyone else. Like you actually would your heart after a bad breakup and avoid looking for that new partner altogether. Well, let's face it, sometimes we can do that with hires as well. And trust me, guys, I've been there. I get the thought of bringing in a new stranger into your business actually fills your heart with more anxiety than it does love and joy. But when you post your jobs on LinkedIn, you can actually feel the confidence that you will find the right person for the right job fast because LinkedIn isn't actually just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion billion with a B professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Because guys, it gives you access to professionals that you actually can't find anywhere else. And so LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive, which then makes hiring with confidence easy when you have that many quality candidates. And it's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. So post your jobs for free at linkedin.com slash Lisa. That's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. As an entrepreneur, one of the biggest challenges you will face is the negative voice in your head. You know who I'm talking about? That maybe not so small part of you that loudly doubts your abilities to actually pull the things off and make a living from your passion project. But you've got to overcome that negative voice in your head, homie, because I'm telling you, you can do it especially if you use Shopify. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From launching your business to hitting a million dollars, Shopify has got you completely covered. And with all the built-in Magic AI award-winning customer service and the internet's best converting checkout, you have everything you need to shut down the voice of doubt and make all your amazing business dreams a reality. That's exactly why, guys, I love Shopify. So if you want to start growing your business with more customers and sales, shut that negative voice down and prove her wrong that you can do it, Shopify is here for you. So go and sign up for just $1 a month with your trial period at shopify.com slash Lisa, all lowercase. Again, guys, you can go to shopify.com slash Lisa right now to grow your business no matter where you are and what stage it's in. That's shopify.com slash Lisa. So what was happening with me is I was so worried that I would miss a cue. Right before I learned lie detection, before I learned about cues, I would go into interaction being like, I better spot it. I better not let this person get me. Oh, yeah. Right? I better see it. And so I went in with a more negative outlook, which made more negative interactions. Once I was like, oh, no, I know that if I see something incongruent, I will, I will know it. That's in my back pocket. So I can just enjoy the relationship. Let's talk about step number four. Yeah. So baseline, nervous baseline, looking for red flags. There are 30 of them plus seven micro expressions. Mm-hmm. Um, step number four is looking for clusters. You never want to take a cue by itself. So there are things that happen, like, for example, like, what if I all of a sudden got allergies, right? What if I was like, we're at an outdoor restaurant, we're having a date. And you're doing this. Yeah. And they go, oh, lying, right? Mm. Like, wasn't in his baseline, wasn't in his nervous baseline. Oh, he must be lying. She must be lying. But actually, like, a wave of jacaranda tree pollen (laughs) just came up. You would never want to take a cue alone. So when I Mm. see a red flag, I kind of just make a little mental note. I think, ah, that was kind of weird, right? And it was right around when, when... when um, this, the, the interviewer was talking about my uh, salary, right? Okay, that's an interesting thing to know. 
Then you wanna look for a cluster of three. This is my rule of thumb. If I see three red flags around the same topic, I know I have to move on to step number five. So all I'm doing in interactions is assuming the best, interacting, and noting red flags when I see them. And if I see three red flags around the same topic, I know mm, I have to go into confirmation. So step number five is circling back to see if you can see them again. Mm. So this is, let's take the project example. You ask a colleague, so what do you think of the new project? Oh yeah, you know, it's okay. Weird, incongruence, mental note of a red flag. Yeah, you know, they've been a little bit uh, delayed and you know, I'm sure it's gonna be fine. You know, I'm sure it's all gonna be good. Uh, I, I'm sure nothing could go wrong. As right. you shake your head. As, as I shake your right. So that's red flag number two, mm. right? Plus, no, it's going to be fine happiness. It doesn't mm. sound like everything's going to be fine. In fact, <laughs> my tone of voice was, it doesn't sound so fine to me, right? That's like when you ask a partner, are you okay? I'm fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, that's red flag number one, maybe number two with my face. Okay, I just wanted three red flags in a row around this, this client. Number five is asking a different way, asking again, asking someone else, confirming someone mm. else, confirming a referral. So I might say, um, would you mind sending the files ahead of time? Or give me a little debrief, you know, what's been going on with them? Or, hey, let's do an update together as a team. That way I'm able to confirm what's really going on here. And if you really get brave during confirmation, you can literally say to someone, it doesn't seem like everything's fine. Are you sure? being super transparent. I am super transparent with my partner about this. Like we read each other's micro expressions. So I will literally say, you look a little frustrated. Are you sure everything's cool? And he can say, actually, yeah, I think that the, we're gonna be a little late on that project. So the confirmation is allowing truth to come out. It's giving the person the benefit of the doubt. It's doing your due diligence and your research and giving them an opportunity to openly share what is the problem, what's wrong, what's going on and being a safe place. Step number five is actually my favorite because that's when you can really deepen the relationship. What if someone did lie to you? You saw a cluster of three red flags. Okay, they lied to you. Give them the opportunity to tell you the truth. Step number five is giving someone the opportunity to overcome the lie. Good, I love that, but how do you do that? So especially mm -hmm. if it's your partner, right? Being called a liar isn't an opening Let's to a do that. Let's not discussion. Do that. <laughs> oh no. Okay. First of all, watch this with them. First of all, watch this with them. I want you to be equipped with the same tools as your partner. So as soon as I started learning lie detection, as soon as I started learning facial expressions, I shared all that with my partner. I shared that with my team. My team also knows these. Like one of the requirements for working at our company is watching my lie detection course. Dude, that's so powerful. I didn't expect you to say that, but saying to watch it with your partner is amazing mm -hmm. because part of me is wondering if people are watching this and taking notes, I'm going to trap them, right? Like when I get with my partner, I'm Pollyanna. Gonna... Yeah. No, Pollyanna, right? So like we want to assume the best mm. and we want to give our partners and our friends and our people as much communication advantage as we have. And by the way, I do believe that reading cues is a major communication advantage. Mm. I believe if you have these cues in your back pocket, you have faster, better, easier communication. You have more honesty in your life. Why wouldn't you want to give that to the people who matter to you? So it is a requirement for every team member at our company to watch this course, to learn all the cues so that I can say, are you sure everything's okay? I'm sensing that things are a little bit off. Mm -hmm. You seem a little bit upset. Do you want some time or do you want to talk about it? Like we can use these cues and we can be very verbal with them. And so I highly recommend talk about these cues with your partner. It doesn't mean you have to say they're a liar. Yeah. You can say, you seem upset. Your body language seems off. 
I'm reading all kinds of negative cues. Mm. What can I do? All right, now that's assuming that mm -hmm. something at work or they're just lying, oh, everything's fine. But what if they're actually deceiving you? Like blatantly, I am doing everything yeah. I can to deceive you, to pull the wool over your eyes, and you've gone through that five-step process. Okay, so most interactions are gonna go like this. Most interactions are gonna be, great, you're never even gonna get to set number three. Most interactions, mm -hmm. you're just in baselining and nervous baselining, that's where you stay. You never see a red flag. Mm -hmm. Yay, <laughs> right? With all of my best friends, all the people who I trust in my life with my team, I'm not seeing set number three mm -hmm. because I've gotten rid of those people. So if you've made it to set number three, <gasps> with people over and over again. You're constantly in set number three. You're constantly seeing red flags. You've confirmed, you've seen clusters, what's going on, you've done research. Those people should not be in your life. I don't have people in my life who put me in set number three very often. And that way I know that I can totally be easy when I'm in interactions. That's so clear. It's so clear. If you are seeing these red flags mm. over and over again with people and you can slowly exit, exit them from your life, those are the toxic people who are taking away. Red flags are really nerve wracking, right? They're incongruent, something's not right, something's inauthentic. And if you can't get those people out of your life, it's someone you work with, it's a family member, you need to create boundaries. Mm. You need to create boundaries so that you know that you're getting things in writing, right? So like if, if you have a, I've had this before where I have partners that I'm working with who I've seen red flags and we're in a contract for a certain amount of time and I have to work with them. I get everything in writing. So I'll have a phone call with them. And by the way, um, let's, I'll do a quick quiz for you before yeah. I tell the rest of this. So what mode of communication has the most amount of lies? Is it face-to-face, -face, phone? I don't think it's face-to-face. -face. Email, I think that's chat. harder. I think phone because people could still hear your voice either email or chat because you're hiding behind, probably chat, because email, you have a lot more space, but chat is like, I can just say a quick lie and no one's gonna be able to decipher. Okay, so that was my guess too. I thought it was chat. It's actually the phone. What? I know. So think about this from a, um, once I read the, the research, I was like, ah, I understand. So face to face, it's super hard to lie to someone's yeah. face, right? It's super hard to look someone in the eye and bold face lie. Email and chat, there's a paper trail. It is really hard to put a lie in writing to know that someone could go, scan, 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 you said 9 p.m. Ah. So it's against our nature to put any kind of lie in writing because we think to ourselves, this, I could get caught. So what I will do if I know that I'm with someone who has put me in level three is I will say to them at the beginning of the call, my assistant is taking notes or I am taking notes, we'll put a summary in an email after the call. One that brings writing up to the surface so it makes them want to be more honest because they know that someone's taking notes. So that's the first thing is if you know you have someone who fibs or fudges, mm. tell them it's all going to go into writing. And then after every single phone call, we send a follow-up email. It was great talking about this. You promised XYZ deadline. It was so great to hear this. Fact, 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 fact. Please uh, confirm receipt that we got it all right. So I will make sure that if I'm with those people and I have to do those people, I get it in writing. Mm -hmm. So that's how you kind of manage. But I think that if you get to number three, it's a great, number three with people, it's a great little check to say, do you want this person in your life? Do you want someone who's being incongruent with you? Mm. I think the answer has to be no. Does everything you just laid out really apply to every type of person in your life, whether it's a parent or whether it's a spouse or anything like that? Like, are there any kind of moments where it's, um, like if someone's lying to you for your own good? Okay, let's talk about, let's talk about different kinds of lies. 
Okay. So they're different kind of lies. Not all not all lies are created equal. So lies that are manipulation. Your session notes. <laughs> she just lied. <laughs> I actually haven't given like, an okay. answer yet. <laughs> uh, well, actually, you know what's funny is I was thinking about if I could remember all the different kinds of lies in my head just at that moment. I was like, do I have them all in my head? Oh. So I wonder if that gave away my nervousness. Oh. Right? Because I was like, oh God, do I remember all the lies? That's what I was thinking. Oh. We're gonna rewind back that back now slowly. <laughs> So they're different kind of lies. Not all not all lies are created equal. So lies that are manipulation. Your session notes. <laughs> she just lied. Yeah, I like it. So let's hope I remember all the lies. Okay. <laughs> so um, there are blatant manipulative lies, right? There are there are lies where people, someone just trying to fib you. Those are actually less common than we think. Lies that are actually more difficult with partners, with parents, are one self-deception. So sometimes people are lying to themselves. <laughs> So they don't even think it's a lie to you. And this happens all the time with deadlines. This happens all the time. So you'll talk to someone and you'll say, so when can you get that project back to me? Oh yeah, no problem, I'll get it to you by end of day. Now, they think that that's true, but you know there's no way they're gonna get it done by the end of the day. But that self-deceit turns into deceit. And so there's a difference between lying to be manipulative and lying to be self-deceptive. If someone's being self-deceptive, you can sit down and have a very different talk with them. It's not you're lying to me, no. It's, hey, I've found that over the last five weeks, you've told me you were gonna get something back to me by a certain time, but you haven't. And I, we've all been there, I know that's really hard, mm. but can we come up with a better system so that I know what to expect from you? That is a boundary discussion. That is a, um, let's figure out a better system discussion. That's not a deception discussion. Mm. So I actually think it's really important to distinguish between uh, ill will lies, like lies that don't mean well, yeah. and lies that are just people don't know themselves well enough. Those are two different kind of lies. Mm. Okay, the third kind of lie is uh, lies to not get into trouble. So a lie to not get into trouble is not like they're being manipulative. It's like, yeah, oh, that email must have gone to spam. Or leaving soon, but they're not even in the car yet, right? Those are like well-meaning lies. They are trying to get away with something. That, that again is a boundary discussion. That's a discussion of, I'd rather you tell me the truth mm -hmm. than lie to me about something. That's not, you're a liar, how dare you? Mm. So I think a lot of these red flags are actually empowering because it guides you to have the right kind of discussions and the right kind of communication, which is so much more productive. Yeah. Um, so as we were talking about this, I want to tell you about uh, one time I was like, I told my husband, I was like, you couldn't just lie to me because he was so <laughs> honest with me. So we're going on this date. We haven't been on a date for so long it's, yeah. as we're building Quest. So it was a very rare oh. time. And I bought this shirt. Now, A, money was very tight back then. And so I'd gotten this shirt. I didn't uh -oh. tell him about it. We go to go on a date. I get dressed up. I'm really excited. Yeah. He doesn't say anything. But I'm like, I know my husband, he's really busy. Like maybe he's just very distracted. Sometimes he's literally in his own head. But we have made an agreement in our marriage, never test each other. Yeah. Just setting the other person yeah. for disaster. No secret test, no love secret it. Test. Yeah. So I reminded myself, oh, I told him I wasn't gonna test him. I'm just gonna ask him. So I'm like, babe, what do you think of my shirt? And he goes, he looks me up and down, he's like, eh. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean eh? And he's like, it's all right. And then like he just goes and keeps talking like nothing was wrong. So I get annoyed, I get upset, I get really quiet. And he looks at me and he's like, babe, are you upset by it? And I was like, yeah, I mean, you know, like really dressed up for you. He goes, but babe, I'm never gonna lie to you. And he goes, because when you're 90 and you, we're both a big bag of wrinkles and you've just woken up and I tell you you're beautiful, 
He's like, mm. it needs to carry weight that I'm telling you the truth. So I was like, all right, fine. Yeah, you, you know, he's such a smooth talker. that I was, <laughs> You're like, that's a good answer, know, actually. That's a good one. <laughs> but it's interesting. That's what made me think about why people do lie sometimes. It really yeah. is to like, I just don't want to hurt them. So I think that you, the people, the people who matter to you, your partner, mm. your, your, your family, your friends, your coworkers, I think it's good to set up like truth rules, mm. right? Like, do you want to have someone say, yeah, you look great. You look great, babe, amazing. Or would you rather hear, I don't love it? Yeah. So my husband, we have a similar thing. He says, it's not my favorite. Mm. That's his, he, he doesn't go, eh. <laughs> <laughs> so we've come up with the phrase and this is a, a spoken phrase that it's not my favorite is like is like a very not confrontational mm. way of saying like not like you look horrible but like not my favorite and then I can go okay so if we're about to walk out the door I don't feel like I have to go change so I think like talking about you know these rules with your friends is really important yeah and right? then we actually broke it down because of that because I was like well I don't like feeling like this I do want him to be honest with me. So how do I now do something different to get the result that I want? So now we've just agreed. He's like, babe, just next time ask me before we leave the house. Uh, because at that moment I was like, I can't do anything about right. it now. Like I'm, it's a day I want my husband to think I'm hot and now I'm in the show. He freaking okay. doesn't even like. Okay, so here are two other, and that gave me, it just made me realize there's two other unspoken agreements that I have or uh, spoken agreements that I have with friends. So one is I will, I will actually say to my husband, will you just like make me feel good right now? Hmm. So like if I'm about to walk on stage or I'm about to do a YouTube video or like I just need like a little bit of confidence, I will literally say, babe, will you just make me feel good right now? And like it, it could be you look great. It could be, oh, this is such a great day. It could be let's have so much fun. Like you're going to you're gonna kill out. You're going to kick it, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. he'll, he'll just whatever is truly, I don't want him to lie. I just want him to think of something that will make me feel good. Or I'll say make me feel better, mm. right? So sometimes I'll say to him, make me feel better right now. Like if I'm having a stressful day, he'll be like, oh, let me tell you a funny story about our, about our daughter, Sienna. And he'll like bring up something to make me feel better. The same thing with my friends is in the store. I'll say to my friends, convince me I shouldn't buy this. Convince me I shouldn't buy this. Or convince me I should buy this. Mm. So I will literally say to my friends the response that yeah. I want, which is just convince me yeah. of one way or the other. Or like, tell me I'm not crazy. Tell me I'm crazy. Yeah. Am I wrong about this? Right. Tell me if I'm wrong about it. Like, I will literally say exactly what I'm hoping for. And are you giving them space then to not lie? Because yes. they're like, okay, she's given me permission. Yes. That's yes. really good. Or if I genuinely want them to, I won't say lie, we'll say like, uh, you know, make me feel better for something. I will say focus on whatever you can that's truthful to make me feel better about yeah. this. So I think like watch this video with friends, watch this video with a partner and then have these discussions. Teach them the cues. Teach mm. them the seven micro expressions and teach them the 30 cues so that they know exactly what to look for, by the way. It makes dates so much more fun. It makes going out with friends so much more fun. People watching is so much more fun when you can do cues. Watching The Bachelor, watching reality television is so much more fun because you can say, see that lip purse? Yeah. See that shame touch? Right, so like there's all these different cues that can have Can you, you talk about the shame touch? Yeah. Just, I, was like, I was like, there's no way you can just say that and, yeah. and go buy okay, it. Okay, so I'll do lip purse and shame touch. Let's talk about those two. So um, when we purse our lips, so, mm, 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 mm. so this is an interesting um, behavior because it means we actually can't talk. Right, mm -hmm. so I cannot say anything when I press my lips together. So instinctively, when we press our lips together, we're trying to withhold, we're mm -hmm. trying to hold it in. It doesn't always mean lying. Sometimes it can mean that you're saying something that's hard to say, something that's embarrassing. So for example, on reality television, you'll often see when someone says, you know, so um, tell me about your relationship history or how old are you? People will go, because mm, they really don't want to. So it doesn't always mean deception, but it's a withholding pattern. Mm -hmm. In um, Shark Tank, we noticed that 
you can oftentimes predict if a shark is going to go out, is going to pull out of the deal if they'll lip purse. Because mm -hmm. it means they're withholding something that they want to say. So for example... And is it usually a negative thing then? It's typically a negative thing unless it's followed by a confession. So for example, oh. um, so I think in one of the pitches that we analyze in the book, um, Mark Cuban, he... Mm, he does this, mm, mm -hmm. which is a contempt micro gesture and also mouth shrug. And then he doesn't say anything. He gets interrupted by someone else. I, I said, that is the moment that this investor, that they, they lost the deal. Mm. If Mark had had a chance to say what he was worried about, oh. I think he would have stayed in. By the way, he missed out on Ring. Ring was a great opportunity, but he missed it. So I think that if that had been mm. addressed in that moment, if he hadn't gotten sidetracked, I think it would have been okay. So it can be a negative thing if it's not addressed. So that's the lip purses. I always look out for it. For example, if I'm in a meeting and I'm around a table and I see a, a client go, hmm, during a particular slide, I will pause my presentation and I'll say, everything look good? Are we all good? Lisa, does that, does that work for you? I will literally pause and just quick check in. I cannot tell you how many times I've paused my presentation when I see hmm, from an executive and I say, like, you know, Matt, everything good with this? This makes sense? And they will inevitably say, you know, there is one thing I was worried about it, without, without fail. Like, I, I think maybe one or two times out of a hundred has someone went, no, we're good. I'm and so would that same thing work if you were having, let's say, an, a very intense conversation with either a friend or yes. a partner, if you see them do that lip thing? Yes. Yes. I'm, if you're venting and you're talking and they go... You can say, this all makes sense? Are we good? Mm -hmm. Am I explaining myself okay? Like taking those moments or mentally noting it. Like sometimes during a presentation, what if I'm in the middle of a story and mm -hmm. I can't pause? I'll make a note, hmm, Matt made that lip purse when I was talking about timeline. I will make a mental note of it and during the q and I'll say, you know, I just wanna revisit any specific questions on timeline. And I will look directly at the person who gave me a lip purse and almost always they will say, Actually, now that you mentioned it, I do have a question about that. And is that then, again, giving them permission? So bringing permission. it up, giving them the Set eye contact. Five. So number five is confirmation. It's looking straight at the person yeah. who withheld something and saying, I want to hear it. Even if it's bad news, I want to hear it. And you can say, I, this meeting is for this purpose. It's okay if you challenge me. I would rather hear the truth. I have said to people, I would rather hear the truth even if it's hard. Mm. I, the, the statement that I truly believe in is I would rather live in hard truth and ignorant bliss. I would rather hear the truth than think that everything's okay and it's not. So that's the lip purse. The shame touch is another cue, which is one of my favorites. So when we are embarrassed, we do a blocking cue. So blocking is when we try to protect our body. We do it with our, with our body. So we'll mm. cross, you'll notice I never cross my arms. Yeah. If you see me cross my arms, that's one of my lying cues. All right. So I try really hard not to. It's like I'm very protective. Like it's like almost offensive. So we block our body. We block our mouth. So when we don't want to say something, we literally cover our mouth or cover our mouth mm -hmm. or cover our mouth. Mm -hmm. We also will block our eyes. So when we don't want to see something, like if you ever um, give someone bad news, what do they do? They go, oh, no. Yeah. Right. Oh, no. Or if someone hears bad news, they'll rub at their eye. They'll take off their glasses. They'll pinch their, oh, no, no, mm. no. That is a blocking behavior because that's because as humans, when we don't like something. We literally don't want to see it. Wow. We, we cover so the shame gesture is a modification of a blocking cue, which is when we're embarrassed, we're literally trying to shield our eyes, mm -hmm. like trying to shield our eyes from the threat. And so you'll notice when I, I ask a lot of people their embarrassing stories, almost 
on a table of five people, one out of five people will go, oh my oh God. God. Yeah, yeah. Right. Or like, have you ever watched um, those prank shows? When they reveal at the end, people always go, no, Put their no. hands on their forehead. That's so yeah. true. So that's uh, the universal gesture of shame or embarrassment. Mm. It's not always a bad thing. Right? It can happen like when, oh, I can't believe that happened. But it's particularly important, I think, in romance and in business. Mm. In romance, it's very good to know if you've brought up something that embarrasses someone, that someone's ashamed of, because oftentimes they'll verbally say it's okay. So let's say that you're talking about debt. Right. So, yeah, you know, I just paid off my last student loan. Oh, yeah, that's great. That's great. It's great to hear that. Mm. And you see that they've touched their forehead. There's some sort of shame or embarrassment talking about money, debt. Right. So that can be an interesting cue to either make a mental note of or go a little bit deeper or maybe be gentle around. So I like to look for shame as like a gentle and in business, mm. the same thing. So like if I'm talking to someone, I was just working with someone who um, is a wedding photographer. And she says that sometimes if budget's a problem or there's a family member that there's like an embarrassing family member, she will look for the shame gesture and then she knows to tread gently. So like, for example, if she's talking, she's okay, you know, the, the rate for my rate is $3,000 for a wedding and, and you see a guy go, oh gosh, or the wife is like this. She'll say, you know, I have payment plan options and I have a couple of ways that, you know, if that, if that seems a little bit high for you, so she'll actually offer so she doesn't get a no. Because she realized when she didn't address the cue, she would never get a call back. Whoa. She'd get That's a no. So, yeah. And didn't know why. She'd say, why? But she's like, once I started looking for shame, I could see where the hangups were. So I think that's the other thing about this is I don't want people to be blindsided anymore. I don't want people to be like, why did he say no? Why did I get a no? Yeah. Why, why did she ghost me? What? I don't want people to think that anymore. And so I think that looking for these cues, it gives us another level of information. And information is empowering. So true, God. There's one thing I wanted to ask yeah. you though. Yeah, so yeah. going back to the modes of lying. Yes. So how do you start to decipher those modes and know if someone's lying or not? So for instance, yeah. if it's an email or like the I love you versus love you, like mm -hmm. do they actually love me or are they mm -hmm. just saying it? Like how, what are those little cues that maybe we can start to look through? Okay, so what we've been talking about now is a lot of body language cues, yeah. right? So we're talking about face-to-face -face and video. Right, a lot of these cues yeah. can be using that. So there are a lot of audio cues. So phone, so just hearing things, like mm. for example, the question inflection mm -hmm. is an audio cue. You don't need to see someone for that. Um, another question, another uh, audio cue is that typically, so right now I'm using the lowest end of my natural voice tone. So my, everyone has a certain octave range in their voice tone. Mm. And when we're confident and we're calm, I have a lot of space, I have oxygen, I can speak nice and low. When I'm nervous, I go a little higher in my voice tone. In fact, one of my tells is that I go really up here and I talk like this because I get a little bit nervous and my vocal cords tense. So when I'm really nervous and my vocal cords tense, I go really high in my vocal range. Now this is still my vocal range, but you can hear that I sound a little bit anxious. Mm. So you'll often hear that liars will go up in their range. And so that's where you go, okay, that's one, you said clusters of Cluster. three, so that's exactly. the one cluster. Right. The verbal cues are hard because there are verbal cues to deceit. There are verbal cues to emotion leaks, mm. but they are really, it's a very advanced science. So I'll give you an example. Typically, people who are telling the truth use more personal pronouns. They say, I, me, my, our, we. They use a lot of personal pronouns. And that's because when we're telling the truth, we wanna take ownership of it. Mm. We say, I'm so excited to see you. I love you. I'm so happy to be here. We use a lot of I, me, and my, because we have ownership over truth. Mm. They've found that, statistically speaking, liars wanna distance themselves from the lie. So they will drop personal pronouns. 
this is statistically speaking, not always, but sure. oftentimes if you've seen a, an email, you've baselined someone, you're emailing with them, and they're always using full sentences, they're always using I, me's, and my's, but all of a sudden you get an email or all of a sudden a sentence has a lack of personal pronouns. That is a red flag. Right? It's the same thing. It's the same mm. principles of all five we just learned. So someone might say, um, um, so happy to hear from you. Just getting back to the office now. Um, we'll work on that later today. Try to get to you by the end of the day. Mm. No personal pronouns. <laughs> right? No I, me, mine. And so we have to, I think, begin to add emotion back. And truth tellers mm. are more comfortable adding emotion back. Mm. So the other big thing that I'm trying to fight right now, like one of my personal missions is to take everyone off autopilot. I think that so much of our communication has gone on autopilot. And again, that accidentally makes you sound like you're being dishonest, mm. right? So we're back to the same thing we talked about at the beginning, which is if you're anxious, it can sound like dishonesty. And so my goal is to make you more confident. Same thing in written communication. We tend to go professional and sterile because we think that it sounds better, but actually being sterile and emotionless and not using personal pronouns and not using emotional words actually makes you sound dishonest. So how can we bring back some more authentic emotion? So first, I actually think this is the most empowering for people watching. Do not be afraid to add emotion to your emails, right? So instead of, um, here's an email I use to send all the time. Um, uh, looking forward to our meeting next week. I'll send a proposal and an outcome for, and, a, and a list for you and we can go over them all together. Um, talk next week, right? That's what most of the, our emails sound like. Super professional, autopilot. Like my brain is like dead, right? Like there's nothing there. There's no emotion there. What science has shown is that reading words like collaborate, reading words like trust, reading words like creative actually makes your brain be more collaborative, be more trusting and be more creative. So what I think we have to do now is we have to think about honestly, what do we want people to feel when they read our email? We're thinking about that meeting next week. Do we want to be productive, efficient? Do we want to be warm and friendly and collaborative? Use those words. That is what honest people do. Honest people think about their intention, they put it in the email, and they create more of that thing. Mm. What liars often do is they withhold. They say, well, I don't want to put too much on the table. I don't really like this person, so I'm not going to add like words. Mm. And that's why you'll get emails from people and you, and you think, have you ever gotten an email and you're like, just don't, is this person mad at me? Oh, yeah. Right? That is because we know that if someone has withheld emotion from us or held emotional words from us, it means they're withholding literal emotion and we think they're hiding something. That's powerful. I recently decided that I'm never going to placate to who I'm writing to. I'm just going to be myself. And Tell so me more about I, that. So I wrote to my um, my editor. So I get this book deal, right? Write to my. I'm so, so excited. excited. I'm excited. I'm yeah. a little freaking kid. I don't care. I'm like, so excited for you. <laughs> but it's like... It's, Freaking Simon and Schuster. So, but I'm like, I don't care. I'm like, I'm so excited about this. So I send my editor my my opening and my chapter and stuff. And I'm like, oh my god, I'm so freaking excited! I can't wait for you to read it. Let me know how it goes, girl. And I'm like, just myself. And I'm like, I'm sure this is like so weird, especially compared to like other authors that she's used to write, uh, working with. But I was like, I don't care. Yes, you. I was like, this is me. I I want her to know that I'm excited because I've got to a point where if she didn't know. If she doesn't know that, I, not even if she doesn't know that I'm excited, but this is me. And yeah. I want to, I've, you know, show up as my true self. Now, here's the thing, though. Because I've lent into it, when I don't do that, yeah. I think it's very telling to my team where it's 100%. like, hey, I need to talk about this, what happened here, and it's very totally different. But that's different. good. Ah. 
I think that is exactly, like, may we, may we all interact that way where when we are feeling true, we're not holding back. When we're feeling true and excited and authentic and collaborative and creative, we use all those things and all that passion, all those words. And when it's not cool and we're a little bit irritated and we're a little bit angry, we don't lie. Mm. We don't add false excitement. Mm. We don't add false emotion. And so it's a little bit more curt and a little bit more short. And you know what? People are going to show up to the meeting on their gay game, mm. right? They're going to be like, okay, mm. something's not right. And you're, yeah, you're right. Something isn't right. Like that is, I think, how we should be interacting. And so I think it's the same thing in written communication. It's congruence. God. If someone's excited, they should sound excited. They should be using exciting words. They use more emojis, more exclamation points, more wows, more yays, more girls. Oh, I'm all that. Capitals. Except when you're angry. Yeah, except when I'm angry. And that's authentic and that's congruent. Love it, girl. So I could talk about your book and all the studies you're doing forever. It's actually, is it available now for pre-order? It's available for pre-order. Oh my God, I'm so freaking excited. Where can people go and pre-order the book? It's on Amazon, so go check on Amazon. It's called Cues by Vanessa Van Edwards. Um, if you can't wait, you're welcome to get Captivate. I talk about the seven micro expressions in Captivate, so it kind of gives you a little bit um, in there. And my website, of course, I have all this. I have an actual course on lie detection if you want to dive into lie detection science and watch videos of liars. So we actually, it was a really fun experiment. We had our readers submit videos of two truths and a lie. You know that game? Yeah, I okay. love that. So two truths and a lie. They, would, they said in a statement, they would say two true statements and one lie, and we coded them. So for this course, we coded to see if we could spot the lies, and then we play them in the course. So you can play the videos and test your lie, your lie detection abilities. So if you want to take the course, that's also at sciencepeople.com. It's super fun. Oh, my God, that's amazing. Guys, 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 the very first time I met this woman a few years ago, I fell in love. I'm obsessed with her. Her book, Captivate, honestly, and go back and watch my first interview with her. It has changed my relationship with my husband. It's the way that I show up at work every day. And now she's got a new book, and I was very blessed to get a sneak peek guys you gotta pre-order this shit you gotta pre-order <laughs> it's freaking mind-blowing if any if this is an indication of what her book's about you gotta get it so go get it <laughs> thank you thank you thank you thank you and thank guys you. honestly oh, so if, if you're not subscribed please click that subscribe button and if you're not following me follow me at lisa billu and until next time guys go be the hero of your own life go pre-order her book Woo! Yeah, yeah, yeah.